This is exactly right. Welcome to My Favorite Murder, the Celebrity Hometown Edition. That's right. Three episodes in one week for you. This is an extra special one. We can't stop podcasting. (laughs) Would you like to join us? That's right. The struggle is real. Just not put up an episode every day, but here we go. We're going to do it. And we're very excited about our guest today. Mm -hmm. You know her from kind of everything from television. You've seen her in movies. Yeah. You've seen her on Comedy Central doing stand-up. You've seen her on late-night television. You've seen her live in concert. You've seen her perform at clubs and colleges all over the country. I can't not say that. I know. You say it about everyone. <laughs> I can't help it. It's funny, and it's what the MC is supposed to do on a, on a show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome friend of the family, Margaret Cho. Thank you. Hi, friend. I am a huge friend of and uh, Murderino and been wanting to be on your show since Karen Anderson (laughs) left you a voicemail. (laughs) All the way back in the day. That's right. I think that was 2016, 2015, something like that. That was the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan and uh, this is great. This is... um, it's it's a dream of mine. Also, I'm on many shows on your amazing Exactly Right Network. So, oh yeah, we love you here. I love it. You've done every. You've guested on almost every show. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's my favorite. And um, and all my love to uh, George. I just saw George. I know. I know. Sweet I'm George. Sorry. Sorry about. You. No, thank you. I mean. It's very nice how, uh, you know, it's very nice that it's such a shared uh, thing when you lose a pet, but people know who your pet is. Like, mm-hmm. I've never had that experience before. And it's ve- it really actually makes a difference. But at the same time, she was 15. <laughs> she was truly, like, looking me in the eye, like, please let me leave. I need to go. She had an incredible life. And uh, I, I, I think I felt the same sort of sorrow uh with Elvis. Oh my mm-hmm. God. Elvis that was like really, so much to me. I mean, and I would always try to visualize what kind of cookie it was that he was getting. I was like, is that like a Temptations cookie or is it like a <laughs> yes. Greenies cookie? It's and uh, Temptations was the, if you could shake it and he could hear it, mm. it would, that's all that mattered. Like a bag of treats. Like a pound. He would eat anything. He once knocked a sandwich out of a friend's hand who was eating it here. So he would eat anything. What if every time it was a freshly baked hot Toll House cookie that Georgia was (laughs) handing him straight out of the oven? Uh Oh, didn't you know? (laughs) A famous Amos. Um, (laughs) It's so cute. Uh, But I love his little, like, cry. And I have a cat who, uh, her name is Sacre-Cœur, and she's deaf. And she has a little bit of an Elvis kind of it's amazing cry as well well she's a, a hairless cat right she's a hairless cat and today she's um zoomies all day because she got her cone off oh she's had a, a cone of shame on uh since she's been licking her boo-boo leg Aww. for a while and finally i just thought what if i just like let her just out of the cone and just see what happens because the boo-boo's almost um healed and she's been like on the honor system she hasn't licked it today Aww. Good girl. So she's zoomies all day, and uh, if she, if I could, if I could prompt her with, "Do you want a cookie?" But if she could hear me, um, she would make the same sound. 
Well, now our puppy's name is Cookie, so I can't use yes. that anymore. It would be really confusing to him, I feel, or to her. Wow, misgendering my own animal. That's I love that. And you've been on the Purrcast talking about yes. the cat too. So I love I love that. I love and I love that uh, they got to come over and they actually probably are due for another because um, I have a new baby Uju mm. who has come and uh, so there's three cats and one dog. Do you what is it weird to have both dogs and cats? I think it's it's new for me. I've never done it. I hadn't either, but it feels like I'm just constantly in a YouTube video in my. It's like the most entertaining part of my life to mm-hmm. have both. It's a level of chaos I wasn't prepared for, <laughs> but I, I do love it. Right. Um, I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We are so stoked. And I know our our listeners will be too. Um, yes. I just have a couple questions because you are on one of our favorite TV shows. We've talked about it on our podcast before, but you're on the second season of The Flight Attendant. Yes, coming up. I'm going to go and film uh, pretty soon. So I'm going to start up with that, which is really exciting. Yes. And um, I love the show. It's such a good oh show. Oh, my God. It's incredible. It's it's great show. And it makes me scared. Like, I watch the show and I'm, I'm really scared the whole time. Yeah. For all of the characters. So it's it's really exciting to be able to jump into that. And so I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be scared. It's going to be like a... I think like a 72-hour fart hold. Like a scared... You know when you go on set and you're just scared? I'm, I'm like still... I never got over being scared on sets. Mm-hmm. I think that's good though. Because yeah. that's part... It's like partly excitement. Mm-hmm. It has to matter. So you need that... You need the stage fright focus energy yeah. to, to come in with you, right? Right. And that show is such a high level of anxiety about everything that's happening that I think it's going to fit, my fear will fit right in to everything yeah. going on. <laughs> so um, yes, I'll, I'll be doing uh, an arc. They call, I guess they call it an arc. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing a few different things. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. It's very exciting. So that's that's pretty much the rest of my uh, winter is going to be wrapped up. We're going to Reykjavik, which I've never been. Oh my God. To film. So yeah, it's very exciting. It's beautiful there, right? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I guess I bring a jacket. <laughs> <laughs> and how long do you get to stay in Iceland? I don't know. Um, I guess it's they just gave me like a lot of time to clear out, so I'm just going. So we'll see. So you get it right. So we get it, and uh, yeah, it should be really cool. And um, I've never been there. I only remember that Karen does a really great Bjork impression. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> like the best. <laughs> Truly the best. That's right. Yes. Sure. <laughs> She's not gonna do it. She's not gonna do it. No, thank you. No prompting. No, it's it's like it's very hard to do because it, it it's kind of like animal. It's kind of I can't even like it, 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 it's it's not what you think. It's like an accent, but it's also like a place in the mouth where it occurs. Yeah, it is. I, the thing is, I have to listen to her first. Yeah. Like, if I was going to do that, I mean, that's from so long ago in my act. But, you know, the way I started doing that impression is um, I went with my boyfriend at the time to see Dancer in the Dark mm. at that movie theater that's on um, La Brea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the Indian restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not like the movie. Mm-hmm. It uh, it. It bothered me, but I love her and I love watching her and I love listening to her. Mm-hmm. But the plot of it was oppressive to me. Yeah. And 
the guy that I was with, this is one of the funniest things of all time. I was just sitting there kind of stewing where I was like, I have enough problems. I can't take this on. Everything happens to this woman. It's so awful. Yeah. It's stressing out. I look over at one point to say, do you want to leave? I don't want to watch this movie anymore. And my boyfriend was doing a crossword puzzle in the dark. Like... <laughs> Purely, purely as a joke, basically, so that he knew at some point I was going to look at him and be mad. So he was pretending to do a crossword puzzle. That's charming. That's charming. It was, he was hilarious. We left the movie theater and I could immediately, I was in a rage about the movie doing an impression of her. And that's how I was able to do that. You know, what I love about the movie, though, I love her boyfriend, Jeff. It's Peter Stormare. Because he... Was so he's so cute because he keeps showing up at the factory and then she just like pushes him away and pushes him away and then he's the only one there. It's no spy spoilers if you're gonna watch the movie, but it's too late. He's the only one there at the. I know it's too late. He's the only one there at the end and he's so sweet. And um, I actually did a his tedious TV show um called Swedish Dicks and I did an episode and I got to talk to his ear off <laughs> about how much I love that character and he was really he was very moved that but he also puts um. I think he put somebody's foot in the wood chipper in Fargo. That's right. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's the guy that kills Steve Buscemi. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Which is based on a real true crime story, although it's the not The Fargo? As, oh, yeah, yeah. The wood chipper thing. It's not yeah. as... It's a lot more depressing than a Steve Buscemi type, but... Is that the one where the it was a guy... It was a flight attendant? Bringing it back to the flight attendant. But it's a, it is actually <laughs> a flight attendant, um, a pilot wife. Yes. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Yeah. He um he was like a pilot. He was having an affair with another flight attendant. Mm-hmm. And then she found out. And then he went and rented a which he didn't even buy it, he rented it. Yeah. Ew. And put her through it. And they found like a little piece of her fingernail with the polish. Yes, in the bushes or something. Yes. You should use this as inspiration when you're on the flight attendant. <laughs> I mean, think about the flight attendant. Well, it, it's uh, you know, it I think, like, probably if you're, like, a comic, you kind of do know what it is like to be a flight attendant because I think the comics fly about as much. <laughs> when I first met you in San Francisco, Margaret, you were doing colleges, and all it was just always me and Scott Silverman picking you up from the airport. Yeah. Like, that's... It was, like, Margaret's coming in, and then you were going out. It was constant. It was constant, and then you would see flight attendants again, which is really weird. <laughs> You know, because when you're like flying that much, you end up seeing people and then you're like, oh, you actually, I know you because I've been on this flight before. So, have you, so it's a very, you shouldn't, shouldn't see flight attendants again. No. Right. That's a, that's quite a, a strange experience. It's a lot of travel. I remember when I first started doing colleges myself, I, the first couple of flights, I would get nervous. I would think, oh, do I have fear of flying or whatever? And then I would remember how can you have fear of flying when you know for a fact Margaret flew like 70 times this year and nothing happened to her? Like right. that you were kind of that, the guidepost of like, oh yeah, that's just a made up thing when you never fly, but actually you know the people that commute fly and they're fine. Yeah, so they're you're, fine. you're fine. We're fine. Right. That era of comedy, it was a struggle era, but it was also, there, there were some good times. The best thing was coming back and having like you and, Scott picked me up at the airport and then we would just like go off and and have a good time in San Francisco, which was the greatest time of like my youth, you know? So mm-hmm. that it made me appreciate coming home and, and like the idea of like 
being a touring artist was tough, but you always get to come home, which made it so worth it. Yeah. You really appreciated like having friends and having a group of people that like you could go eat with because you just spent a week having every meal alone and only being in your head. Right. Right. Hating yourself. (laughs) So you would come back on a Sunday, like we would get back on a Sunday usually, then we would do like the punchline Sunday night and then uh, the improv Monday night. And after the improv, we would go to Square, which was a piano bar that was up above the improv and we'd drink, drink, drink and hang out. Or we'd go see Laura Milligan and Jerry Finelli play at the wine bar, which was, um, they would do uh, covers. And we were all in our early, early 20s and Mm -hmm. um, just having the best time in San Francisco, which was really special. Living it up and able to afford rent in San Francisco. Imagine. (laughs) Yes. And being young and smoking cigarettes and, um, you know, you would basically be able to party until like Thursday night where your week, at, week would start up again. But we would do like shows every night. And this is even before we moved to L.A. So this is like the San Francisco comedy schedule, which is really precious. Wow. Yeah. Love that. Which is where our store, our hometowns are. This My hometown stories are two of them. I have two hometowns, but they're, they're based in this world. Oh, there's a segue. Yeah. She's got her own segue. Amazing. That's a professional. <laughs> That's right. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant? Like, perfectly scrambled eggs. Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. 
What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill. If you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom, it's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. So um, the first uh, hometown is actually um, not my story, but this happened in uh, 1976 on October 1st by Lake Merced which was Lake Merced was a lake that was um, catty corner to my first high school, which was Lowell High School. And so we had the high school uh, track and then across the street from the track was a lake. And that's where you would go for a kegger. I don't understand how like teenagers are getting kegs of beer. How do they do that? I don't think they do anymore unless there's like a, quote, cool parent or cool older brother or sister, right? Mm-hmm. I would think. I think it's like back then, because this was like the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Like there was always one older guy that could grow a mustache. I think there was like, <laughs> or a creep at the liquor store that would buy up for you. Yeah. That's amazing. Fake IDs were easier to make too, oh, probably, right? Right, right. But the idea of like, giving somebody money to buy you alcohol at a liquor store. Like as an adult now, I could not imagine no. doing that for children or even being like a cool mom. That to me is scary. Like Absolutely. women who would give their kids access to alcohol. It to me is like, I I mean, I'm no prude, but that that's just beyond, <laughs> beyond any kind of scope of reason to me. Like that's so crazy. Well, because these days... The way we know about moms, the cool moms who like hosted parties is they're in the newspaper because some horrible thing happened yeah. and they're getting sued by everybody else. Like you just can't afford to take that risk right. anymore. Yes. Right. Yes. So Lake Merced is where instead of going to the cool moms, you would go to Lake Merced. Right. <laughs> Got it. So they had this sort of like this uh, 
lake there. There were some kind of paddle boats, but not really. I mean, it's not really like a nice lake. It's not picturesque or nice or anything, but there's just like some wildlife. It's kind of a gross lake. It's just so stoners can go and you could have a kegger there and get fingered by some boy when you go over there. <laughs> so he's just getting weird and fingered by some boy at the the kegger at the lake. But they uh, the, in 1976, there was a boy who was looking for uh, turtle eggs and he had found a nest of turtle eggs. And so he's digging down and he uh, he found a hand. What? And so this is October 1st, 1976. He finds a hand and he gets the police and the police come and they uh, unearth a body. It was a young woman who was not identified for 43 years or something. She was was a Jane Doe 40. They called her Jane Doe 40 until 2017, a guy named William Shin, who finally realized like, oh, when I was young, I had a sister and they never told me where she went. And I... I think I should try to find her. So he finally filed a missing persons report and uh, he posts this all on Web Sleuth. And I feel like a lot of the things like Murder Squad and all of this idea that you could actually have some sense of closure. Like there's a lot of consciousness around there with like Web Sleuth and people really looking to podcasting and, you know, like Jensen and Holes and, you know, all these these ideas of like, we can solve these murders that have been unsolved for so long or solve these missing cases for so long. So he was like, I have a sister and I'm going to actually file a missing persons report. I haven't seen her for some 40 something years. I'm sure that she's out there somewhere. I got to know. And so he filed a report. So he had lived with his family and his, his sister in a Park Merced, which is adjacent to Lake Merced. And it's kind of like a... Um, what do you think? It's like it's it's like a group of, group of apartments. You know, that's my parents' first apartment when they started their family. They lived in Park Merced. Okay, wow. with when my sister was a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same apartment uh, setup as those apartments that are across the street from the Grove. Mm-hmm. Um, what are those ones called? Like oh, Park, Park La Brea. Brea. Park La Brea. It's exactly Park La Brea, but it's up in San Francisco. Yeah, like a little condo town almost. Condo community. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. apartments and condos. Yeah, yeah. And I think Leona Helmsley is the person who, they're her building. Oh, wow. She owns all of them. Don't quote me on that, though. That's alleged. That's alleged. That's interesting. I mean, it makes sense. Like, somebody like that would have those kinds of housing developments all over the country. My grandparents lived there, too. So I lived there in the 70s, around the time where this young woman was living there and disappeared. Mm-hmm. Her name is Judy Gifford, and she lived there with her brother and another sister, and the brother is much younger, and she just disappeared one day from Park Merced. And Park Merced is like, it's a little bit larger than, say, an apartment complex because there's parks in there, there's quite a few buildings, there's duplexes. So my grandparents lived in a duplex there, and um, it's the kind of place where you would be in an apartment and some other girls would come over to your apartment and you would braid ribbon into barrettes. <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. It's specific, but I totally get it. Yeah. You know, like it was like a, like when I think about the time, I think it just smells like ginate. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know, the after bath splash, that's like the yellow kind of liquid. Definitely. Burns so bad. It burns so bad. It's like, why so don't bad. I just 
throw this like muriatic acid onto my body um, that smells a little bit like lemons, but also like urine. Yeah. And um, I still remember the jingle somehow. <laughs> Gina Tay. Gina Tay. It was fast. It was jockey sort of like you're a fast woman and you're going to splash. You can't do anything if after a bath to splash this a liquid onto your body. I have a giant bottle of it in my uh, bathroom just out of sheer nostalgia. Oh, um, love it. I, I don't want to smell it ever, but I just always thought if I'm a, an adult woman, I'm going to have a giant adult-sized bottle of, of yes. Ginette. It's like a two-liter. Oh, I love it. Like a display bottle. Almost, it's like though, a display wasn't... Like, like from the May Company or whatever, Blooming, uh, Blooming, whatever, um, Jay Bullock. Uh, but uh, so this was like, this was all kind of happened near Stonestown too, which is the mall that I grew up next to. Did you go to Stonestown with? I lived in the Sunset actually. Okay. So I totally, I used to also go. I mean, this is in the early 2000s, but that whole area it's really familiar to me. Yeah. Well, this is also the same area where the pans in uh, 1984 were attacked by Richard Ramirez when when the Night Stalker came to San Francisco. Yeah. Right. So, and he had murdered a Peter Pan, the older uh, Thai man, and then another entire Chinese man, and then injured the wife. And so this whole thing happened in 1976. So through this sort of idea of like, Murder Squad and this idea that we can solve these crimes. You know, this guy, William Shin, filed a missing report in 2017. And they took the DNA from his aunt, who's probably the closest match. And they also looked at photographs of her. And she had been found with a owl pendant in her pocket. And in one of the photos of her, she was wearing the owl pendant. So they made a match. And so oh, wow. um, in 2017, she was actually identified as Judy Gifford. So she's no longer a doe. Mm. And now they're trying to figure out what happened to unearth the murderer. She had apparently been strangled and left there in this very shallow grave by Lake Merced. And, you know, it's one of those things where we we have this technology now where we can figure out so much of these things. And it's as simple as like looking into DNA. and But it's really the consciousness. And I, I really think that Billy and Paul and all the stuff they do on the murder squad and, and the idea that we can have some closure with our own ability to look to what's happened to ask questions and to find out. I agree. I think it's a, people always want to talk about the kind of downside of like citizen detectives where it's like, oh, people can mislead or, or lead people to the wrong person, which is absolutely true. And people have to be very careful about that of like who they're accusing or whose name they're bringing up. But the thing that they should absolutely be talking about and focusing on is what a beautiful thing it is that there are all these people who have the focus and the interest and the ability to do like digital searches to to get into like libraries or say they're stuck at home or that's where they already work and they want to do this. And they're just basically going to, you know, in their free time, help people get some closure or solve some cases. I think it's, I think it's amazing. Yeah. And it works. I mean, there's people that do it. Yeah. Yeah. And even just bringing like what Billy and Paul do and what you're doing right now is bringing the attention of the public back to these cases that are solvable, that aren't getting enough attention, you know, that people don't know about. And that alone, you know, will maybe give like this, like the Golden State Killer case will give yeah. some more traction 
to the attempt to solve that case. Right. I mean, I think that the Golden State Killer, I mean, Joseph D'Angelo would not have been found without people like what Michelle was doing with what um, Paul, of course, was doing. And, you know, there's so much that we can have, even if we're not law enforcement, we can still have a say in how these cases are treated, how they're looked at, how we can revisit them with the technology that we have now, with what we know now. It's possible. So this is my my hometown that I want to talk about in the comedy world. So this was probably 1985. And I had just gotten that, I don't know if you ever drove in that giant car, the Buick, the big Buick LeSabre that I had. So I just learned to drive. And I was going to the Holy City Zoo. And this was like when I first started comedy. And I was still like living at home. And I was still in high school kind of. But I was driving this giant boat of a car. And I was really scared to drive it. But I was like, oh, well, I'm a comedian. So I can, I'm going to drive. And I was driving home <laughs> on a, like a, it was like a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. It was like one of those Lankan Earl like comedy nights. <laughs> I was probably like 16 or 17 years old. And I remember I was wearing, this is so weird but I was wearing an off-the-shoulder like thing with like an elastic in the neckline. I would never, Karen knows I would never wear anything like that, but for some reason, <laughs> I was wearing like a, like a St. Pauli girl, like a bodice sort of St. Pauli yes. girl. It's just, I would never, but I mean, Karen knows I would never, but I did that night for some reason, and I was driving, and I drove home, and it was like one in the morning on like a weekday night, and there was a tow truck following me, And I parked and the tow truck pulled up next to my car and he was like, roll down the window, roll down the window. And I was like, what? And I rolled down the window and he goes, hey, you hit a woman back there and you really messed up her car and she's really upset. And I think she's going to call the police. So I have to go back there. You're going to have to come back with me and make a report. And I was like, Uh, I don't know. And he's like, get out of your car. And so I got out of the car and I'm standing on the street and talking to him. And he goes, yeah, you know, and he was um, this huge man. Like, I think like, I'm probably blowing it up in my imagination, but he was like this giant mountain of a man. He was bald, but he had kind of a dark sort of beard growth. And he had just, I, I can't even describe it, but he was like, that kind of very tall, very large person. He just looked so menacing and scary, but he was talking really quietly mm-hmm. to me. Like, look, I understand. I know it's scary, but you're going to have to get back to this accident scene. And, you know, you probably just started driving. And and I, it was true. Like, I had just started driving. I wouldn't have known if I hit somebody. Yeah. Because I was just, it's a huge, giant car that got... Six miles to the gallon. (laughs) (laughs) And I was driving at night by myself, which was like already scary. And it was one of those cars that had an eight-track player converter. So it was it was came with an eight-track player, but I had put in one of those things that converted so I could play regular cassettes on it. Yeah. (laughs) And so I was just scared. And um I almost got in the car with him. And I looked in his eyes and then his eyes just flickered like it looked like he looked to the door and then looked back at me. And in that, I knew he's lying. So I just started running and he floored it and he was out of there so 
fast. And oh I God. always think about that, like, oh my God, I wonder who that was. And I wonder what that was. Like, what? Because I would have, I almost got in the car with them. Yeah. And I, yeah. I was so scared because any car with lights on top is an authority figure mm-hmm. to me. Like in a tow truck, even though it's not a police car, there's still something about like, oh, they're here in case of an accident. They're here for that. So I need to believe this person. Right. And he's somehow like almost, he's an ex, a quote unquote expert because he's a tow truck driver. Like yeah. I know accidents. Right. I know what happened. I am, I'm, I was called like, that's actually what a scam, what a story, because he's saying the other lady called me, I'm here like almost on behalf of her. Mm-hmm. You have to do the right thing and get into my, I mean, that is like, if you were 17, mm-hmm. oh wait, you said you were 17. Yeah, like, I was, that's, yeah. He, got, he was, I think, preying on that idea that you weren't old enough to go, Hey, go fuck yourself. Right. Hey, weirdo, go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. It was like, you're basically right in that thing of you can't get in trouble. What if your dad's insurance goes up? Like mm-hmm. all those things you think of that are not priorities when you're older, but when you're a teenager, you're like, oh my God, I, I'm quote unquote in trouble. I have to now go quote unquote, do the right thing. Right. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to help you. Yeah. Like, I'm here for you, which is so yes. manipulative, especially. So to- scary. And- I'm just, I'm in awe that you turned and ran, which is such a, it goes against, I think, as a 17-year-old, the thing of like, be polite to authority figures, Mm -hmm. that you had the wherewithal to do that is so impressive to me. Yeah, It's really, I mean, I'm surprised at that because I'm like, I, I can't believe that I knew that that meant untrue. That if you like are looking at me and then you like kind of just avert your eyes for a second and look back. Like, it looked like he was like, oh, she bought it. She bought it. Yeah. That sort of like, oh, she believes me. That kind of thing of like not believing that I got away with it. I'm getting away with it. That thing. And so it's like really about listening to intuition. And um, it's also like, I really get that from your book, the whole fuck politeness thing of, you know, kind of being in that situation of like, it just feels weird. Just go with your feelings as opposed to, being worried about their feelings. It's incredible. You know, that's, it's like, you, you know, you can trust your intuition. And I, it was more than that. I think for you, it was like, that told you something so deep in, in everything you've learned Mm -hmm. up until that point that you just fucking knew. And I'm just like, I mean, who knows what would happen? That's yeah. It's so lucky. It's so lucky. And it's so, um, it's so important to, you know, really fuck politeness. Don't let anybody kind of like make you feel like you have to do something because you have to be polite or any of that. Like we're socialized so much to squelch our own emotions and feelings and intuition and to push that down. But really it serves us so much better if we listen to it. Also, I think that idea of somebody saying, this just happened. You know for a fact it didn't happen. Yeah. Right. Suddenly he's saying it did happen. And I think whether women have this habit or whether it's just people, it's a psychology thing with all humans, but it's that thing of, wait, did it happen? Mm-hmm. Like when you know for a fact, if like you hit a car, you would have known. Yeah. Like, yeah. I understand it's a big car or whatever, but it's like, but then he, 
his ability, his tow truck, all those things. It's like the argument suddenly is like you have no one to sit there going, what? No, no, you didn't hit a car. Like tell this guy to fuck off. There's no one on your side. Mm -hmm. So you had to be on your side. Right. And that's, it's that kind of thing where like you were waiting and waiting and then you took like, it's almost like the mask dropped Mm -hmm. for him and Mm -hmm. his whole act of I'm the kindly man that's going to help you do the right thing. Then it's just like, like you, Mm -hmm. you were smart enough to see it, interpret it, and then actually move. Yeah, it's really, it's really crazy. I mean, but I, I think about that moment and I think about how scary that was. And I wonder, like, I wonder who that guy was and I wonder if he did. I mean, I'm sure that he's done it again. Yes. And I'm sure if he ended up doing more and doing whatever he did. But there's so many things that we don't know about people, that we don't know who's doing what and what happened. And... um so there's there's scary people out there. There is. And also that thing of he's asking you to trust him mm-hmm. just kind of sight unseen. Mm-hmm. The answer's no. Yeah. It's just like the answer's no. Unless you unless the lady comes around the corner, unless you can show me a picture, like yeah. unless you're a cop, unless even then, like the answer's no. Right. It's you, that is absolutely a boundary you can hold for yourself. No matter who if you're by yourself, like right. you get you get to say no until until they, they, you know, all of the sheriffs come and take you out of your house or something. Yeah. But it's like, but get in trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get in trouble instead of getting into yeah. a car, for mm-hmm. sure. For sure. But that that's, um yeah, that was the world of the scary coming home from the Holy City Zoo, <sighs> um, doing comedy in the 80s. I can't believe you started comedy so young. That's incredible, too. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Well, uh, Karen was still, she was doing comedy. You were doing comedy really like what do you think your first sets were mine were like in 84 85 and then I mine was yeah I was 90 I was 20 and I was in Sacramento Mm -hmm. it was on the younger side like I I had to go to a club that let me get in even though I didn't have ID Mm -hmm. but um yeah but by the time I got to San Francisco I turned 21 and and I was like let's go to the piano bar I'm in the drink oh we're gonna go to square it was called Square, oh. wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. The Square was above the improv and then the piano bar was across the street. Right. So the wine the wine bar was the, wine the bar piano was bar across, across the street. Across the street. Yeah. And um <laughs> but uh we we yeah, we'd go up there and drink and then um we would just laugh and make fun of people and um and Dave Mesmer was there and uh, then we yeah. would, we just like we had so much energy there was so much going on all day too or we get our we go to Nordstrom during the day and get our eyebrows plucked by um <laughs> oh god what was her name she really fucked up my eyebrows forever <laughs> she, Who was she it? plucked your eyebrows too it was um Who? Christy no Christy Christy uh Christy did <laughs> make our makeup as well but it was Greg's girlfriend <laughs> Oh, the blonde? Yeah, what was her name? I can't remember. But she... <laughs> she plucked her eyebrows. She really fucked up our... I mean, I'm still paying. <laughs> I know. I'm still... They don't come uh, back. They really don't the 90s. come back. I watched a TikTok where somebody actually did a 90s, like, did, like, the one where um, Drew Barrymore was in Playboy and, and a guest model, and she did her eyebrows was sort of, like, almost like a half brow. Yep, yes. And she did it, like, for real. She shaved off half her eyebrow to do it. And I was like... <gasps> Oh God! No. no, it's the one where you have one 
eyebrow yeah, across the whole top. Yeah, just one like, hair going across. Dude, dude. Oh, it's, I, it's basically like Clara Bow. Like, right. It was, yeah. it was absolutely connected to being on white drugs, yeah. for sure. Because it was like, <laughs> that's the thing that kept me in that mirror. Like, I gotta pluck some more. It's just well, like... Well, somehow... It only looked good on Drew Barrymore. Like, it didn't yes. look good on any anyone else. And yet we all tried. We did it. We had to. I mean, but yeah, it was like, I think I went to Nordstrom and somebody really went to town on the brows. <laughs> it wasn't even my doing. It was somebody else. I just remember going to Nordstrom and I wonder if you came with us because my mom had a Nordstrom charge card that we didn't have the cards themselves, but our names were on the account. So, and she was always like, mm-hmm. if you need a nice skirt, like that's how she wanted us to use it. <laughs> oh. But what we do is go up to the Nordstrom restaurant uh-huh. and just drink beer and oh eat like disco fries. And then my mom would be like, <laughs> I saw that you were drinking beer at Nordstrom's again. Because she would get the bill. And I'd be like, sorry, oh, sorry. Nordstrom had uh, beer? I love that. Because it was the fancy new one on Market Street down, uh-huh. you know, downtown. Union Square, right? It was like in that yeah. new mall. Yes. Yeah. Kind of across from, like across the street from Union Square. And so they had, the Nordstrom was insane. It was like beautiful, fancy. And then at the very top floor, there was like a, it was like the first gastro pub kind of thing. So it was like oh, right. Sierra Nevada on top. Is this, <laughs> this is boring. Are we being boring? I'm at this fascinated point? by this. It's fascinating. Honestly. Do you remember Ebby worked at the, the um, I think it was like the Italian coffee bar at the Nordstrom on the bottom at the men's store. Oh yeah. Like in the kiosk? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were <laughs> all coffee. over. We were all over that UU Square. Oh, you want to do some plugs for the end? Yes. Because you're going to be at, remember the DC Improv? I oh, like it was so yesterday. much fun. I know. We played there with Mike Berbiglia back yes, in the Berbiglia. late Aww, in the mid 90s. He's so great. Yeah. He's so great. But yeah, we did. Um, we did. We did such great shows there. And um, yeah, so many fun things. But yeah, I'll be back there, I think, in January. Sometimes yes. I'm doing a bunch of shows uh, all over the place. So January 7th and 8th, you'll be at the DC. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah. come on. Come on. Go to margaretshow.com slash tour. Thank you. Yes. You're Please on, go. On the road. Yes. No better live show than Margaret Show. <laughs> Amazing. Yay. Thank that you was, so much. That was great. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Margaret. Thank you. Well, I'm an avid listener. And so I, I don't know why I haven't come to a live show yet, but I, I, I still need to. So I'm looking forward to that. Yay. Thank you Ditto. so much. Thank you. Thank this you. This great. Thank you. Goodbye. Elvis, do you want a cookie? This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Hannah Kyle Crichton. Our associate producer is Alejandra Keck. Engineered and mixed by Andrew Epen. Send us your hometowns at myfavoritemurder at gmail.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at myfavoritemurder and Twitter at myfavemurder. For more information about the podcast, live shows, merch, or to join the fan cult, go to myfavoritemurder.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe. Goodbye. Goodbye.